We're in 2 Samuel 16. We're going back to the wilderness. Not a fun place to be at all. So David had been in the wilderness for over seven years after the prophet uh, Samuel announced to King Saul, hey, Saul, your kingdom's not going to continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of the people, 1 Samuel 13, 14. Why seven years? Have you ever wondered about that? If the Lord has made a decision, why didn't it just happen? What took so long? Well, as I thought about that, and I thought about how the Lord has worked in my life, also, seven years in the wilderness before David would become king, well, I believe that God was using those years in the wilderness to prepare David's heart to really be the man that he's calling to be the king that he's chosen for Israel. Consider James chapter 1. I'm using the NIV version. Consider it pure joy in the wilderness, David. My brothers, sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and then let that perseverance finish its work that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. And thinking about this chapter for my own life and for our church family, look at your notes if you'd like to take notes. Number one, thought of, thinking about this, I know that God allows wilderness experiences that we might grow closer to Jesus and learn to trust him more. And Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, 33, I've told you about the problems that are coming up that you're going to face. I've told you, I've spoken to you, that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Oh, I love this, for I have overcome the world. And as we're making our way through this world, and Jesus is in our hearts, and we belong to him, he's promised to never leave us or forsake us. But here in 2 Samuel 16, we find David running for his life again. This time from his own son, Absalom. Why is God sending David back to the wilderness? Well, let's join David on that journey. Let's find out. It brings us to chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. A guy named Ziba accuses uh, Mephibosheth. When David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, the, certain of, the servant of Mephibosheth, who met with him, uh, and he brought a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 summer fruits, and a skin of li- wine, And the king said to Ziba, what do you mean with all of this? So Ziba said, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. And then the king said, 
and where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. I've got news. You're going to want to hear this. For he said, today, the house of Israel will will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So, in chapter 9, remember we learned that Saul's sole surviving heir to the throne was this uh, Mephibosheth. And Jonathan's, this is Jonathan's son, and David had promised Jonathan, I will look over, take care of your family. And Ziba, he's been Jonathan's servant. He's now his son's servant. And remember, contrary to the way the world did things, the worldly wisdom, David spared Jonathan's son. And more than that, he restored all of King Saul and Jonathan's wealth and land to his son. And more than that, if that wasn't enough, he set his son at the king's table. He treated him like one of his own sons. And now Ziba brings this news of rebellion after all that David has done for him. Well, you can imagine how that made David feel. He reacts in anger and judgment, and he comes down on Mephibosheth. So the king said to Ziba, verse 4, Here, all that belongs to Mephibosheth, it's yours. And Ziba said, Oh, I humbly bow before you, O great king, that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, my king. I thought about this verse in Proverbs when I read that. Proverbs 18, 16 and 17. A gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. Well, that was certainly Ziba's tactic food. Donkeys for David and his family. The news of the rebellion. Boy, have I got news for you. You want to hear this. But look at verse 17. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right. Yeah, I can understand that. I believe what you're saying. That, But then someone comes forward and cross-examines. Someone gives the rest of the story. Oh, huh. Well, we will learn later David will change his judgment. He'll change his heart. He'll change his mind. Second Samuel 19 There's a great lesson here for us when stuff is shared maybe on Facebook or Twitter or gossip comes around and, oh, I I can't believe that they said that or they did that or this or that. Like, David, what should we do? What What should David have done? Well, I believe that with the Lord's help, he shouldn't have reacted like he did in anger and judgment, he should have somehow put the matter in the Lord's hands and said, I'm not sure what's going on here, Lord, but I'm going to trust you in this until I can find out. Because I want to get it resolved with this young man. He's like a son of my own. Jonathan's son. 
I want your help in this, Lord. So your notes, number two. When hurt by a fellow believer, with the Lord's help, seek restoration. Seek restoration for the fellow believer and for the relationship that you know God wants you to have with him. And there's some verses. Matthew 18. If, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man or woman is caught, overtaken in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. And then it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Well, Jesus came in truth and grace. His mercy and grace is astounding. And that's what he wants for our hearts to be filled with his truth, with his mercy, and with his grace. It's important to be reminded Peter's response when uh, Jesus was going through this with the disciples. Peter came to him, Matthew 18, 21. He said, so, Lord, how often shall I shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Oh, you know, Jesus said, well, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Have my heart fulfill the law of Christ. Obviously, David in this situation was under extreme stress. He reacted in haste. Hopefully we can learn a valuable lesson at this time from David's mistake. With the Lord's help, follow Jesus, follow his words, ask for his help to fill our hearts with his truth, his mercy, his grace, and seek to restore a fellow believer and seek to fulfill the law of Christ as we live together in God's family. And as Peter said, you know, love certainly does cover a multitude of sins. And Peter was one who realized, thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness of me. Well, let's move forward. Verses 5 through 14. There's a guy named Shimei, and he has the audacity to come at David and his mighty men, at David as he's leaving in disgrace from Jerusalem. Verse 5. Now when King David came to Baharim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. Coming from there, he came out cursing continually as he came. And he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men 
were on his right hand and on his left. And I'm looking at this picture and I'm going, this is crazy. Think about this. Here's David and he's got the, the special ops seal team of Jerusalem surrounding him, of Israel surrounding him. This is the, these are the guys that say, hey, failure is not an option. <laughs> They're the special ops. They're the mighty men. And they're surrounded. Here's this little pipsqueak of a man yapping. In my mind, I see like a little, and I apologize if you own a chihuahua and you love him. <laughs> but I see this little chihuahua yapping. <laughs> and you're walking down the sidewalk and there's the fence. And he's going, if this fence wasn't there, I'll tell you apart. <laughs> and he's yapping. And that's Shimei. He has the audacity to hurl stones and yap and curse at one of the greatest men in God's word. Well, verse 7. So here's Shimei. And also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. And the Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now, ha, you're caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. Okay? The worst thing you can do is call a bloodthirsty man a bloodthirsty man. <laughs> just, just a hint there. Okay. But, you're paying the price, he's saying. Is it true? No. David did not overthrow Saul. It was the Lord's doing and the Lord's timing. Time and time again, when David had an opportunity to take Saul out, what did he do? He protected him. David spared his life. Well, verse 9. Then Abishai, one of the seal team, one of the mighty men, the son of Azariah, said to the king, are you kidding me? Why should this dead dog, this chihuahua, curse you, Lord, the king? Please, let me go over and take his head off. I want to chop this little pipsqueak down to size. But the king said, and this is what begins to just absolutely blow me away. How David has put his trust in the Lord in this most difficult of difficult times. But the king says, what, I, what, I, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah? Let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? In other words, David's saying, if this is from the Lord, I know that he's at work, and whatever he's doing, I'm going to be okay with. Severe trial, his own son rebelling, now this pipsqueak coming at him. Huh. If I were in David's place, and <clears throat> a mighty man said, let me just go get it, take care of this. I'd go, oh man, enough is enough already. Take him out, but not David. 
David humbly submits to the Lord's, and I believe David understood this, he's submitting to the Lord's discipline. He's understanding that the Lord is somehow sending him back to the wilderness for a purpose that he's wrestling with. He doesn't fully understand, but he's choosing to trust the Lord. And why would David put up with this? Well, recall what was said to David by the prophet. 2 Samuel 15, verses 25 through 26. Then the king said to Zadok, take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and, and let me see it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready, let him do to me whatever seems good to him. As I shared, David had been told by the prophet that things were going to come down through his family on his head in the future. And he's trusting the Lord. And he says, priests, take the ark back. I'm trusting the Lord. He's in charge. Let him do what he sees best. How I appreciate his attitude. How I wish that I could have had an attitude like that when things in my life at different times didn't go the way that I thought they should have gone and I struggled with them. If only I could have trusted the Lord. Looking back, I can see all that he was doing through those difficult times. And oh, how I thank him and how he ministered to my family and my kids. How I wish I could have had David's attitude and heart. Saved me a lot of grief, if I could have. So notice how he handled this criticism. David's chosen his Lord to be his advocate. He's putting his trust in Jesus. David's quiet and complete trust in God at this point, it just amazes me. Although everything around David seems to be out of control, David understood, no, my God is still in control. David put his trust in God's mercy, grace, and love for him. So I had to ask myself, on your notes number three, when wilderness times come into our lives, am I willing now to trust the Lord? Are we willing to trust our God like David? So we continue. Verse 11, And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my own son came from my own body and seeks my life? How much more may this Benjamite? Let him alone, let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. He says, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know what the Lord's doing, but I'm going to trust him in this. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. That's my heart. That's my prayer. But I don't know. And as David and his men went along the road, 
This Shimei, he's not done yet. He's running up and down the fence. <laughs> and he went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones and kicked up dust. And wow, that's just crazy. And finally, as they move on, Shimei fades in the rearview mirror. And they get to a place, verse 14. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary, and so they refreshed themselves there. Thinking about this, you know, I don't know if I'd want to be in Shimei's shoes if the Lord brings him back, or should I say, when the Lord brings David back. Now, back to the rebellion, back to the ranch, so to speak, Verses 15 through 23. The advice of Ahithophel. Ahithophel, as Pastor Jared shared, was once David's closest advisor and friend. But remember, as Jared shared, shared, he was also Bathsheba's grandpa. We're seeing that he's now bitter and unforgiving of what David has done, even though the Lord has forgiven David. He hasn't. He's defected to Absalom. He's part of the rebellion now. Verse 15. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel was with them. Verse 16. And so it was when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, and Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, Hey, something's not right here. Is this your loyalty to your friend, to David? Why did you not go with your friend? Or remember, David has asked Hushai to go back and to be there for him, and be there to help David down the road in a sense. Well, his answer, Hushai said to Absalom, no, verse 18, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And so Absalom's going, hmm, he must think the Lord's choosing me now to be the king. Okay? I, could, I can handle that. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Verse 19, should I not serve in the presence of his son? And as I have served in your father's presence, so I'll serve you in your presence. Then Absalom said to Ahisophel, Okay, we got that settled. I want some advice. I've just gotten into Jerusalem. I'm taking over. What's the best thing that I can do now? Give advice as to what we should do. Verse 21. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So 
Ahithophel is saying to Absalom, you're in the city, take over everything. In doing so, you'll show all the people, you'll show the whole nation that you despise your father and they'll know that you're completely committed to this rebellion and they'll go, well, it's out of the question that this can't continue so we won't be afraid to follow him and we'll be wholeheartedly behind him. And this will cement your takeover. So, verse 22. They pitched a tent for Absalom on top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. So Ahithophel's counsel, definitely incredibly ungodly. But politically, genius. Clever, cunning, extremely effective. This is huge. If you were in Jerusalem at this time, you'd go, hey, this guy Absalom, he's in charge. He's now in firm control of this whole situation. But you know what? Things are not always as they seem on the outside. For behind the scenes, what is really happening in truth is this. It's precisely what the Nathan the prophet said would happen. And so what does this prove, even prove to David? It proves that huh, my God said it, now it's happening. He's huge. He's huge. It proves I'm not sure exactly why God's bringing this about, allowing it to happen, but I do know that he's somehow behind it and he's in control. And I'm going to trust him in this. 2 Samuel 12, 11 through 12, remember what the prophet said, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversary against you from your own house. Absalom. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun on top of the house in the middle of Jerusalem. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. Wow. Absalom and Ahithophel think, This is incredible what we've done to this point. This settles it. It firmly establishes your control, Absalom. Everything's going according to plan. This is great. David, however, knows better. He knows how huge his God really is. David recalls the Lord's word, the correction coming from the prophet. 
He's headed out of Jerusalem to the wilderness. He realized the Lord's allowing this to happen, and I'm going to choose to put my life in his hands. This wilderness experience will accomplish God's perfect will in my life if I trust him through this time. And I choose to trust him. Folks, I'm still learning to do that. This is a tough one. But look at Romans 8:28. Do we really believe this? I do. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. That's the work that God's doing in David's life in the wilderness and in our lives as we walk through this world of wilderness so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Wow. Well, we started this chapter with the question, why is God sending David back to the wilderness? And again, my thoughts are this. God is completing King David's restoration in this that he's doing in David's life at this time. That David might again be truly a man after God's own heart. So look at your notes. David's life is a great example of reconciliation and restoration, what it looks like in a true believer's life. And it starts with repentance. As we looked at that time in David's life, he needed to turn from his sin and he needed to turn to his God and ask for forgiveness and cleansing. And then, so the David said to Nathan, truly I have sinned against the Lord, 2 Samuel 12, 13. And then the forgiveness that Jesus brings. Jesus' forgiveness restores the fellowship for a believer with their God. Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. And then the path of complete restoration that begins to take place. That David might again become that man who is a man after God's own heart. God's restoration, it takes time. Sometimes it's painful. I believe David knew exactly what the Lord was doing in his life, sending him back to the wilderness. And David was okay with that. Hebrews 12, 6-11. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. But God's discipline is always good for us. Well, it's always for our good, another translation says. So that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained 
in this way. As I was a young believer, and one of the things having grown up in the church that I detested about myself before I gave my heart to Jesus was I would find myself cursing in using the word Jesus as a curse word when things didn't go my direction. And I hated myself for doing it. I knew it wasn't right. And the harder I would try, it seemed the worse it would get. And when I gave my heart to the Lord, it was a miraculous thing that God did in my heart. He took that out. It was gone. And I fell in love with the Lord. And I never used his name as a curse word again. And then I was walking with the Lord for some time and ended up at Biola and so forth. And I found myself still struggling with other issues in my life. And I cried out to the Lord, Lord, why? You took this miraculously away. It's just gone. You set me free. But now I'm struggling with some other issues. None of your business what they are. But the Lord knows. And I hated myself because of that struggle. And so I go to the Lord, you took that away and that away and that away. Set me free. Now you're, how come you're leaving this? Just take it away, would you please? And he says, well, if I took that away too, then you wouldn't need to come to me at all, would you? And I go, oh. So because I'm still struggling in some areas, I still need you, don't I? And he goes, yeah, you do. And my arms are wide open to help you. And I go, okay, I can live with that. If it pushes me closer to you, I'm okay with that. And see, that's what the Lord's discipline allows to happen. He allows things in our lives or us to go through things in our lives that pushes us closer to our Savior. And that's what's happening in David's life right now. I love Pastor Chuck's heart for restoration for fallen leaders like David. This is what he said. You would be amazed at the flack that I have taken because I want to help restore those who are fallen. Whenever I see a talented servant of God fall to the lures of the enemy, I get angry with Satan who seeks to rip off some of our finest servants. We've taken a very strong position on grace. We believe that the Bible does teach that God is gracious, that one of his chief characteristics in dealing with man, if he, had, if he wasn't a God of grace, none of us would stand a chance. We all need the grace and mercy of God. As I thought about David's restoration, this is what I realized about myself. In your notes, number five, like David, we are also in the process of being restored 
every single one who belongs to Jesus. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. Hebrews 10:14 kind of puts the whole thing together. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever. Done deal. When Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. When I asked for my forgiveness from Jesus, I was forgiven and my sins were washed away for all eternity, past, present, and future. Made perfect forever. Those who are being restored, those who are being made holy, a process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And number six on your notes, David, David's God was bigger than any circumstance. Whatever you might be going through, can you trust the love of Jesus like David did? How big is your God? Is he big enough? Yeah. We'll close with David's heart for his God when he was in the midst of the wilderness. It says, Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Insight to what God was doing in David's heart at this time as David was trusting his God. Worship team, come on up as we wrap this up. Psalm 63. God, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. God's restoration, as he loves us and as he allows us to go through trials and tribulations and issues and things in this world that David, that I, that we might become more and more like our Savior, a man, a woman, after God's own heart. Trust him. Let's stand and worship our God as we close our service.